0: What is good, everybody? Welcome to the 16th episode of the Instant Reaction Podcast. I'm Rob Stats Guerrera. Alongside me, almost as always, the one and the only Levin Black. What's up, Levin? Uh, The 49ers. Yeah, I I don't know what to say. We won.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's one of those... uh... Yeah, they won, so you should be excited, but you're kind of struggling to find the excitement because of what it means for the future, and this season doesn't really matter for the Niners anymore, so it's kind of like one of those weird situations where your team won, but you're not exactly happy about it.
0: I mean, it's going to hurt the draft pick, but you know my position. I have been saying it over and over again, like, my day today is a little bit better because I got to watch my 49ers team win, and not just win. Aside from one position, Levin, the Niners played really well. They played the offense, moved the ball. The defense was great. The only position that was off was Robbie Gold, who was absolutely hideous, missing two field goals and an extra point.
1: Uh, Yeah, he was hideous. Uh, I mean, I appreciate him for trying to help the tank, but, you know, the rest of the team was just too good, I guess. (laughs) And by
0: the way, we remind you, please rate, review and subscribe to the Niners Nation podcast network. Keep the reviews coming. We are grateful for each and every one of them. And this game for me just brought into light an obvious fact about the Kyle Shanahan regime. If they don't turn the ball over, they win. Like it doesn't matter who's out there. It doesn't matter what else is going on. Kyle finds a way to move the ball. And they will win if they don't turn it over. And they only had one turnover at the end of the first half in this one. It didn't end up hurting them at all. And they win the game. And that's just what I found out from today is the turnovers are absolutely sinking this team. That's the only thing that can stop them.
1: I would say that's not even a Kyle Shanahan thing. That's a trait you see with any team that has a great defense. If the offense doesn't turn the ball over. You're going to win because the defense will take care of things and limit the other team enough to where even a bad offense should get enough points most of the time. And if you have a good offense on the other side of the ball, you're going to dominate teams. I, I would say that's more of a defensive stat than anything else.
0: The 49ers had 20 points in this one, but like we said, Robbie Gold missed, he left seven points out there, easily seven points. It wasn't like a 60-yard field goal that he missed. So they really should add 27 with their third-string quarterback. That's, I mean, that's saying something. That's a credit to the offense in this one. And I thought of you, Levin, because you said on the Gold Standard podcast that the 49ers do not need to dole out a ton of money for Raheem Mostert. And here's Jeff Wilson today. I mean, 22 carries, 183 yards. And he should have had a touchdown, but the 49ers decided not to challenge when he when he got to the, basically they ruled him out of bounds at the inch line and the Niners didn't challenge. I think it was a touchdown. But I mean, Wilson
1: powered this offense today and he was great. Yeah, Wilson had a phenomenal game. And, you know, if you really want to get into it, what's the difference between Wilson and Mostert? I would say the only real difference between the two is Mostert has true home run speed. I mean, he has truly world-class sprinter type speed. So maybe one of the, one or two of these long runs by Wilson would have ended up in a long touchdown instead of getting caught. I mean, he was caught multiple times inside the red zone after a long run. That's really about the only difference. And when you turn around and you gain another five, 10 yards on the next run, does it really matter?
0: It was, it was a clinic in the ground game and it was, it was so refreshing to see because, you know, as long as they're doing that, like, it doesn't matter that Bethard's a third-string quarterback. They were moving the ball, chunk plays, down the field, and I didn't have that same fear of, oh, my God, we could turn it over on any snap because I knew that Kyle was only going to attempt short passes all game long because when they're running the ball that good, he's not going to let his quarterback throw the game away.
1: Or he's going to try to not let him throw the game away. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they still manage some of the times, let's be honest. but yeah. The, This is a pretty clear, you know, game plan number one by Kyle Shanahan. Get the run game going and then just take safe, reliable passes in the pass game, mostly off of play action because the run game is now a threat. And when that's happening, the offense moves the ball consistently. And when they actually have good quality quarterbacking play, they dominate teams offensively.
0: And reception-wise, I mean – Kittle led the team in catches. He had four catches for 92 yards. He actually had five targets. He would have had five catches, but he dropped. He was wide open, and he just dropped it over the middle because he was worried about running after the catch. But other than that, nobody did anything for the 49ers wide receivers. Jarek McKinnon had three catches. Yuscheck had two catches, both for touchdowns. And wide receivers, I mean, Bourne had one catch. Ayuk had one catch and only two targets. That, this was the, that was part of the game plan for Kyle, right? Like, we're not even going to risk throwing to the wide receivers, basically. It was Kittle and checkdowns, and that was the passing game.
1: You know, there's been a lot of criticism of the wide receiver core, and there were a lot of criticism that came to Jimmy last year for not going to the receivers enough. You know, maybe that's by design. When things are moving well, Kyle just does not risk too much of the outside stuff tries to play it safe like we were talking about. And last year, things went well almost every game. So that might have been a bigger part of it because you saw in this game, things were going well. Kyle wasn't risking much, and that meant Ayuk and the other receivers weren't a big part of the game plan. It was mostly screens, dump-offs to the running backs, and stuff over the middle short. And I'm
0: happy to say George Kittle appeared to get out of this game without suffering an injury, which was my biggest worry going in. It was the only thing I was watching for at first. I mean, he looked good out there. He he always looks good. And, you know, unless we see something afterwards, from everything I've noticed, he's good. He's healthy. So we just got to get
1: through 60 more minutes and we could, you know, protect George Kittle for a whole offseason. All right, I'm going to spring this on you because I had a thought during the game when it comes to Kittle and it's more about what Shanahan said because it kind of, Flies in the face of what Shanahan said. He said earlier this week, you know, you criticized him. I kind of tagged along on that of playing Kittle at all. And Shanahan said, he's the healthiest guy on the team. I have to play him. Okay. If he's the healthiest guy on the team, why was he on a play count?
0: That's what I said on uh, stats and eggs. It didn't make any sense to me how you can't have it both ways. He's either the healthiest guy on the team and is good to go hundred percent or He's on a snap count. Like, why is he on a snap count, Kyle?
1: Yeah, it, it doesn't make sense. It's uh, double speak. It's hypocritical. It basically is bullshit, is what it is. I mean, call it for what it is. It's complete BS out of Kyle. I believe he probably is 100% healthy, and Kyle just doesn't want to play him a whole lot, especially doesn't want to have him doing a lot of blocking and taking the hits in that game because I didn't see him doing a whole lot of blocking. seemed like a lot of times he was in, he was running a passer out in this game, and he was basically a receiver. And so that means Kyle's wanting to limit him. Why? Well, because he doesn't want to risk injury. So, I mean, he's doing exactly what people said. He's just not doing it quite to the degree most people thought he should, which would be not playing him at all.
0: Yeah, if you're going to limit him on the field because you're worried about him getting injured, then he shouldn't be out there at all. It's just a, a ridiculous move by the 49ers. It's a risk they absolutely did not have to take. But they did take it, and so far it seems to have been okay. They seem to have rolled sevens for this week anyway, which was good to see. I Also, before we get into some of the other stuff, the Arizona Cardinals are not a well-coached football team. They, they look disorganized. They looked flat. They Kyler Murray looks like he's about as mentally tough as a marshmallow. He looked defeated at times during the game on the bench, and then he got hurt right at the end of the game. I don't know the extent of that injury. I'll have to keep an eye on my Twitter feed. But they just, like, the 49ers coach circles around Arizona today.
1: I'll say a couple things about Arizona. I think Kingsbury has a lot to learn. I think he has a lot of potential as a head coach, but he's certainly not there yet. I think he's a guy that quite honestly should have either had more years coaching as a head coach in college or been an offensive coordinator for a couple of years in the NFL. I think he I think he could come around to being a good head coach, but right now there's definitely some growing pains he is going through. And I think you've seen that to a degree. You know, I watched a game, I think it was last week, it might have been two weeks ago, where Hopkins was just flat out getting frustrated with the play calling because he wasn't getting the ball. I mean, I, I saw a graph that kind of went, Viral on Twitter, where for three straight weeks it showed the route tree of Hopkins, and it was literally like the same three or four routes over and over again, none of them going over the middle. And that to me is an inexperienced coach who doesn't know that in the NFL it's the star player that makes an offense and not the play calling. Whereas in college, it's very much the system and the play calling that will make an offense, in my opinion. You need the star players to make things happen in the NFL. The other thing about Arizona, I will say, I was having the thought throughout this game that Kyler Murray, to me, comes off as a Cam Newton guy. In, and I mean this in this sense. He's a phenomenal quarterback as long as he can run. The moment he's not able to be a true dy- dynamite runner again, anymore, he becomes an average quarterback really quickly. He's one of those guys that I think is going to probably have a pretty good career for six or seven years. And then he's just going to kind of fall off the face of the earth and go from being really good to average really quickly because it's really the running that makes him special. His passing is not very special.
0: And he ran the ball eight times for 75 yards today. When he ran it, he was effective. Um, He had a couple of nice scrambles, but they just didn't seem to do that enough. He threw the ball 50 times in this game. And he only averaged 4.9 yards per attempt. Like that is really bad. And he can throw a good ball too. I think he's a, I think he's got a great arm, but you're right. When he's not running, he is not the same guy. And the reason they beat the 49ers in week one is because he ran, which Which I wanted to bring something up to you, Levin, because uh, I don't know. Did you watch the Scouts broadcast on Amazon Prime or did you just watch the regular announcers with uh, Catalan and uh, James Lofton?
1: Uh, Just the regular one. I didn't realize there was another one.
0: Yeah, there was like, so there was like multiple options you could choose from, which was a cool idea. So they had like Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks were doing one of the, that was like the scout feed. So that I I watched that for the second half because I wanted to try one for one half and that one for the second half. And they pointed out that the Niners sent, I think it was Kaywon most of the time, but that they blitzed Kyler from the right side when they did blitz. And so he had to roll left to avoid the blitz, which he was way less effective. I wonder if they've sort of cracked the code on Kyler now, and you'll start to see that, like, they've got a handle on him.
1: Yeah, it's actually, I've seen other teams do that, just not to this degree. I've seen t- teams, when when they blitz, they blitz from the right side, but they don't blitz as often as the Niners did in this game. It seemed like the Niners, especially in the second half, really started, anytime it was going to be an obvious passing situation they were sending somebody on that right side and it does if a if a quarterback struggles to roll and throw on the run from one direction you can play into that and i think that's what the niners have decided and they also i think you saw a big change right from the get-go in the when the niners blitzed i don't know if you caught it but a lot of the times like i saw it really well with warner but a lot of times the blitzer came and And they would kind of come on a couple steps and then pause to make sure Murray wasn't trying to get to the outside yet. And if he wasn't, then they continued on and forced him to the inside or running to the other side of the field. But if Murray was trying to get to the outside, they weren't over pursuing, which we saw in Week One where the Niners were over pursuing and Murray would just go right back to where that blitz came from and get a big game. And that was definitely a big change, I think. And you saw it on a lot of plays, even a non-blitzer, they would have one of the linemen peel off and not rush the passer and just try to keep the contain, which one of those fourth down runs was Warner coming on a blitz, chasing Murray away, and Kerry Hyder was just caught flat-footed. And if you're flat-footed against Murray, it doesn't matter who you are speed-wise. You're not catching up.
0: Are you saying that Robert Sala adjusted? Yeah, he adjusted. Wow, look at that. Two games before he leaves. He finally figured it out. Um. <laughs> The other thing I thought the 49ers did a good job with defensively was they didn't allow the Cardinals to gain a lot of freebies on slants. They did a really good job of staying in the passing windows and breaking things up. There was a fourth down play with Fred Warner because he's Fred Warner and he's awesome, where I think he may have been blitzing on the play and just decided to stop and stayed home and broke up the pass and turned the Cardinals over on downs. They did a good job. Arizona hit a couple of those, but it wasn't like they're all game for them whenever they wanted it.
1: Right, I mean, the Niners had the right game plan defensively. You blitz from the right side and you take away the short middle routes. I think that's what they did. They gave away there were certain things that were available to the uh Cardinals if they made the right play call, but a lot of the times one Murray wasn't getting the time, which hey, that's new since Bose has gone down. (laughs) But a lot of times Murray wasn't getting the time to get the deeper routes. And a lot of times what they were giving up, they were giving up to the side that the blitz was coming from. So that Murray wouldn't be able to see it because he would have to be getting away from that side.
0: It was so refreshing to see such a better game plan against Kyler Murray, because in week one, I felt like they were trying to rush him and he would, like you said, he would just run right where that blitzer was and, gain as much as he wanted on the ground. And they he did it a couple of times today, but they mostly kept him in check. They didn't allow anything on the ground. I mean, the, the Niners just stuffed the run game all day long, which I think was frustrating Arizona. And it was just a good, solid game plan all around. Oh, and before I uh, go to break, Akello Witherspoon. Like, where has this guy been the last two weeks? He has looked like the Akello Witherspoon we saw in the first part of 2019 before he got hurt. He was great. He was running stride for stride with receivers, breaking up passes. He had a a beautiful interception in the end zone where Kyler Murray threw a ridiculous pass through a goal-line fade when he's, like, fading away from the ball, couldn't get anything on it. Spoon played great today.
1: That whole secondary seems to be playing like guys who are trying to earn contracts. (laughs) Hmm. (laughs) Oh, wait, they all are. Like, (laughs) Like Barrett, I mean, I think he's earned a contract. So I I think Verrett will probably be the one that comes back. Witherspoon will probably get multiple opportunities. Now he'll have some teams to pick from. I don't see him coming back. Just kind of, I think the way he's been treated there's he, he wants a fresh start and well, in the other way you had Sherman playing as if he wants to get one last contract last week where he was avoiding a hit.
0: Yeah. We didn't miss Sherman at all today out there at, all and uh you're right about Varett. he had a great breakup at the end of the first half uh towards the end of the first half uh kyler threw a ball to hopkins and hopkins is amazingly strong hands and, and hopkins caught it and had his hands on it and verrett broke it up before they went down to the ground and hopkins ended up uh getting injured on the play but that's a play that hopkins makes time and time again very strong hands but verrett was there ran with him stride for stride and broke it up i mean if if Verette didn't earn the contract this year, he certainly earned it today.
1: Yeah, and we saw that a lot in this game where guys were making the play. You know, that, that was, I think, a big difference than what we've seen at times this year where even the, the Witherspoon interception, it was a fade route that he played perfectly and the receiver had nowhere to try to make the catch. I think in the past, you might have seen Witherspoon never turn around and just keep running right into the receiver and getting something like defensive pass interference on that play. But instead, he actually got his head around and went, oh, gee, the ball is right coming to me. I'll just take that.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right, Levin. And Bucky Brooks and Daniel Jeremiah pointed it out on the broadcast. Witherspoon is 6'3". He's one of the tallest corners in the league. And you're throwing an end zone fade to Christian Kirk, who's much shorter than him. Like the the whole philosophy of the play did not make much sense. And I want to give a little credit to the Niners just as a whole, too. You know, Kyle Posey was saying you play Kittle because it's part of the 49ers' culture, it's establishing the culture of playing hard no matter what. And I argue that the culture was already established by Kyle Shanahan, and it showed up today. Like, the 49ers came to play on defense. They were sticking people. You saw the Lions game earlier today. They get blown out 47-7. to They look like they wanted to be anywhere else in the world, but on that field. And that was not how the 49ers came out today. They came out like they were the ones in the hunt for a playoff spot. And they, it showed. And to me, that is the Kyle Shanahan culture of this team.
1: You know, I'll say this. The Niners as a team had every reason to just ghost these last two weeks. They're stuck on the road. They can't even go home. It's the holidays. They're playing literally a home game in their opponent's stadium. And they're playing a decent opponent who's in the playoff hunt. I mean, they could have easily packed in these last two weeks and just said, you know what, it helps us in draft position and I want to go home. So, you know, it it would have been easy for the players mentally to pack it in, but they didn't. So, you know, I think that says something about the team.
0: So, all around a nice win for the 49ers. It's nice to not be in a, a angry cranky mood after after a game for a change for the first time in a while. Let's take a break when we come back we'll react to some of the post-game quotes. I saw Kyle had a couple of good ones about Witherspoon. Uh, Fred Warner talked as well, so we'll react to that after the break. Welcome
1: back to the instant reaction. Okay, hold on, hold on. Before you went to break, you said something that I have to respond to. You know, you said it's nice to not be in a an angry cranky mood after a game. Well, Niner Nate probably is in a angry, cranky mood right now because the Niners are out when it comes to Zach Wilson. So (laughs) (laughs) I just had to interject there that not everybody in this network is, you know, all happy.
0: You're right about that. He was cranky on Twitter with his gifts. Oh, the 49ers have no chance of Wilson. First of all, I don't buy that. They were probably going to have to trade up to get him anyway, and they're going to have to trade up now. Like, what? Okay, so we have to throw in a fifth round draft pick? Like, what are we talking about here? If they want him, they can still get him.
1: I mean, technically, they could give up enough to get him. I think the Niners are going, I think if the Niners were outside of the top 10, they had virtually no shot because the cost was going to be extreme. I mean, the example that we talked about in our gold standard podcast was coming from the number eight spot. And even that had a majority of fans saying they wouldn't do it. So, I mean, if they're outside of the top 10, the chances of trading all the way up to two are astronomical. I'm not even sure. Has anybody ever gotten up to number one or two from that low in a draft spot? At least not in recent history.
0: Well, do they have to get up to number two, though? I mean, so right now, uh, Eric Branch tweeted the Niners move from 12 to 15, which is literally right now, Saturday night when we're recording this. So that could change depending on what happens tomorrow but they're at 15, but do they have to go up to two? I mean, are we sure Zach Wilson's going to be the second quarterback taken at the number two
1: spot? No, there is a chance that Fields or whoever still goes number two and you're sitting in the four, five, six range with Zach Wilson and Trey Lance still sitting on the board and having an opportunity to move up there, which the cost would be lower. I mean, when you're talking about the top five picks, the cost to get that pick goes now down astronomically with every single pick. I mean, you you get outside kind of the top 10 and, you know, getting to 10 or 11, not a big difference. But inside the top five, it's a huge difference. And there is a chance that Zach Wilson or Fields, for that matter, ends up falling and you're sitting there in the middle of the top 10 with a chance.
0: Sorry, Niner, Nate. I know you wanted to lose a million times because you think that Zach Wilson is, you know, the second coming of Joe Montana. I mean, we're going a little nuts here for Zach Wilson. Like we have no idea if this guy can play. No idea. I do not care if he made great throws at BYU. Like, you know how many quarterbacks that stunk in the NFL made really good throws in college? Like we have no clue. Stop acting like the world is falling because you might not be able to get Zach Wilson.
1: I can't wait for Niner Nation pod this week. (laughs) Like he's going to be mad. He is going to be mad. I'm sure you you need to play this audio of what you just said to him during that part.
0: I will. (laughs) I will. Like I'm tired of it, man. Akash has been tweeting about how good he is. Now Akash is not openly rooting for the team to lose like nine or Nate, but like we have no freaking clue. None whatsoever. Like, no one thought Justin Herbert was going to be as good as he is. He's awesome. Like, we don't know. So, stop acting like everything is terrible. If the Niners trade for Stafford or Dak somehow, and they're ripping it up next season, are we going to be mad because we don't have Zach Wilson?
1: No. You know, it's funny you bring up Akash, because he tweeted something about the Niners and the quarterbacks, and I responded to it where I basically agreed. I I think the Niners are going to have a pretty clear – philosophy going into this offseason. They're not going to be cutting Jimmy right off the bat. They're going to be keeping him as the backup plan, the fallback plan. They're going to go after the, the couple of vets that could be out there that they like. It might only be Stafford that they like that could be on the market. But whatever vets are on the market that they like, they're going to pursue. If they get one of them, great. They'll move on from Jimmy, either getting him to agree to a trade or letting him go. If they don't get one, then it turns to the draft. If They get into the draft and one of the quarterbacks they truly love is there, whether they trade up to get them or they just let the, you know, pieces fall to them and end up getting a quarterback they really like. Great. They then deal with Jimmy. If neither one of those pan out, they don't get a vet, they don't get the draft pick. Then I think they're going to roll into next season with Jimmy still their quarterback. Oh man. (laughs) I know (laughs) it's an instant react spot, but I was, I said that I think during the game to Akash yeah, I I think it's not a foregone conclusion that Jimmy's not the quarterback next year, basically.
0: Let's get into some of the post game quotes here was Shanahan on Kittle. After the game, everyone on the field sees what he means to us. And he added how much of a difference it makes having Kittle and Jimmy G practices and how they bring a special energy with them. Like, uh, I'm sorry. I do not buy into this special energy crap. If Jimmy Garoppolo, like, He has special energy. That's what you say about somebody that doesn't do anything physically really well. Like, he wins, so we have to say something good about him. So we'll say he has a special energy. Like, what the hell does that even mean?
1: Yeah, I think there is something to that, that there are people that can rally others. And certain players, or if you want to go into the military, certain military leaders they get that rep and people will just follow them. It gives them something extra when that guy is next to them. I think Kittle has reached that level with the Niners. There's been other examples of other players in the past that were kind of that level. And I would say, you know, if you go to the military route, like I said, you know, somebody like Patton would be a good example. When he was there and he was involved, I think it it really did give a boost to his troops.
0: But you can't suck and give that boost. Like, you know why George Kittle can give a boost? Because he's really freaking good because he hasn't well, yes. played football in like two months and he comes back and has what, four catches for almost 100 yards in this game. Like, you, the good players do that. The, the, if you stink, it doesn't matter what kind of energy you have.
1: Yeah, you're not wrong that if you stink, it doesn't matter what energy you have. But not all great players have that rallying effect and boost to their teammates. That is something special that certain players have, and I would say it's not all that common because I think it takes somebody that's kind of borders on madness with their attitude of just, you know, they're going to run through a brick wall type mentality where they truly will run through a brick wall if it's in their way while they're playing. Like, And Kittle's one of those guys.
0: I'll take Kittle with two-to-one odds against the brick wall. Shanahan on Witherspoon, uh, Akello, quote, the way he's been playing the last two weeks, the way he played today shows a lot about the guy. He said Witherspoon hasn't pouted about losing his job and the amount of work he's put in during the season made the coaching staff believe in him again. That, to me, that's a shot at Dante Pettis when I hear Kyle Shanahan say that. That is, to me, that's what it is, right? Because Pettis got in the doghouse and pouted and basically shut it down and never recovered.
1: Never recovered is right. I mean, has he done anything for the Giants yet? I don't even know if he's suited up for the Giants. He was on the COVID
0: list for a little while, but I I don't even know if he's played in a game, which, frankly, that was a lot of his career in San Francisco, too.
1: You didn't know if he played or not. I wouldn't say that's necessarily Shanahan thinking of Pettis when he said it, but it does show something for Witherspoon's mentality. I mean, maybe he comes back. I mean, I said earlier that I don't think he comes back, but I I would think maybe now there's at least not as frigid of a relationship as it seemed. Because when you get benched, when you're doing decent and then you did bad and then you just get benched and you never get a shot again, you know, that could spell witherspin wanting a new start. But eh, maybe there's a chance he comes back, although uh, I would think the leaving of the certain defensive coordinator of this team might want to take him with them.
0: Yeah, we'll see what happens there. Oh, by the way, uh, there's a quick correction. The Niners are 14 in the draft, not 15. I know we said that earlier, so I wanted to clear that up. Um, one more thing, Shanahan on Robbie Gold said, you've got to look at his body of work because here's the thing with gold. They have to decide before the end of the regular season, whether or not they're going to pick up the option in this contract. And the option is not just for one more year, it's for two more years. And he is the second or would be the second highest paid kicker in the league behind Justin Tucker of Baltimore. So if you're John Lynch, Levin, and you've got to decide before next week, are you sticking with
1: gold or are you looking elsewhere? I would be doing my research right now. I mean, kicking is not something that you just want to go, okay, well, we'll bring in some guys and find somebody in training camp. No, he, there's a reason why the Niners have had this very clear strategy now for as long as I can remember, basically, getting back to really the early 2000s where they find an an aging kicker who's still good, but their team doesn't want to pay him. You know, you had Phil Dawson, you had David Akers. Um, I'm forgetting one, and now you have Robbie Gold. You know, you've had basically, I think, almost 16 years of this, and it's been effective. The Niners have had really good kicking pretty much nonstop. I mean, the Wade Ritchie years are oh. well behind them. At this Jose point. Cortez. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, that's the nightmare that can happen to you when you move on from a kicker. That's the nightmare the Bears went through and they let Gold go. Now, I will say that in just the last couple of years, there seems to be this really big influx of really quality young kickers. You know, there's been a lot of guys coming out of the woodwork that they haven't missed a beat. A lot of the times, your young kickers need a second chance because they come out for whatever reason, nerves, whatever, get to them, and then they get a second chance. But maybe they can find somebody, but I would not be waiting to try to find somebody. If you're going to do it, start looking deep into the draft so that you can maybe take a guy with your last pick, you know, type thing.
0: By the way, I'm just seeing uh, Cliff Kingsbury after the game said, Kyler Murray hurt his leg and is being evaluated, which you could tell the Cardinals are still trying to make the playoffs because they're going with the hockey, like lower body injury. That is the least descriptive way that Cliff Kingsbury could have talked about what happened to Kyler Murray.
1: You know, I'm kind of relieved it was his leg because we didn't really get to see much on the broadcast. But I did notice that he got hit like right in his ear hole. Like they probably could have called roughly in the passer on that if they really wanted to. Yeah, it would have been kind of one of those borderline calls, but he was hit in his ear hole. So I was kind of worried that he was suffering from like a severe concussion. So I'm actually glad that it's, you know, I, I would rather see almost any injury instead of a head injury. I mean, like, broken back? Yeah, don't want to see that one. But you know what I mean? Like, I would rather you break your leg than have a severe concussion.
0: No, I mean, you know, getting kind of gruesome here, but they could cut off Kyler Murray's leg and he'd still be, you know, he could still live a long and productive life. If his brain is injured, there's not much you can really do for that. So I agree, you know, glad it's not a concussion or anything like that, but we'll see what happens with him going forward. But... Look, I'm happy today. Like, I'm sorry, guys. I know you want the draft pick. I am happy today. The 49ers players seemed happy after the game. Dre Greenlaw said, you know, we weren't really looking to play. Spoiler. We just wanted to fix our sort of mistakes. And at least for one week, they did. And it was nice
1: to see. You know, I kind of fall in the middle of this. I won what's best for the Niners, which means a better draft pick. But I also enjoy watching them win. And I tend to be grumpy when they don't, even when the game doesn't really mean anything. So I'm kinda of like if the Niners lost this, I would have been, eh. If the Niners won this like they did, I'm kinda of, eh. Like that. I'm I'm in between. Like I see pluses and minuses on both sides, put it that way.
0: You really don't want them to beat the Seahawks next week. Like you want you're not gonna be happier if they beat the Seahawks. Like, I will love it if they beat the Seahawks in week seventeen.
1: I mean, I would probably be happy to kind of rub it in their nose, but I mean if they beat the Seahawks I don't know what their draft strategy is. So there's pluses and minuses on both sides. Like oh
0: my God, the draft. Oh, the precious draft pick. Give me a break. If they don't take a quarterback, does it even matter? Like we're assuming they're going to take a quarterback in the first round. Well, what if they don't, then do you really care if they're picking two picks lower than they would have if they lost?
1: Depends on how things fall. Like this draft was kind of different. Things fell where the Niners were able to trade down and they were able to get Kinlaw. Like, there could be somebody there, whether uh, a uh, really good offensive tackle. <coughs> cough, cough. I would love that. <laughs> oh, so so
0: you didn't listen to the the broadcast feed that I had on? It was the Daniel Jeremiah, Bucky Brooks. Literally during the plays, I can't remember if it was which guy it was, but he went, "Oh my God, Muhlinchi got beat again!" Like they were astonished at how many times he got beat. Which, yeah. like, to the rest of us, were like, "Yeah, welcome to 2020."
1: You know, he did have a tough matchup. You know, I saw Rich Madrid. He posted on Twitter saying, you know, that his matchup was going against a top 10 pass rusher this season. So he had a tough matchup, but you know I don't, I really don't give a shit. Like this has been going on long enough. Like, and, you know, we kind of tweeted back and forth a little bit, you know, civilly. It actually stayed civil for once when I started arguing on Twitter, but you know, I made the same point that I've made on this pod. When you were, Bad at something when it comes to blocking, it cannot be. You're so bad on pass blocking that when you whiff, you truly, completely, and utterly whiff and you give a free shot to your quarterback because it's a drive killing. If you completely whiff on a run play, okay, it's a no gain and there's always a chance that the play went to the opposite side of the field, so it doesn't even matter.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: When it's pass blocking, if you whiff, you're getting a sack or worse, a turnover. And both of those are drive-killing a large majority of the time. And this season, with the quarterback play we've had, a sack is drive-killing pretty much guaranteed.
0: How about this? The 49ers have had three different quarterbacks throw three touchdowns in a game this season. What do you think of that?
1: That's the Kyle Shanahan effect, I guess. (laughs) I mean, it's a passing league, so just about anybody who gets some playing now in this game, you know, Beathard hasn't had too many opportunities, but both Garoppolo and Mullins have had plenty of opportunities. They both played enough this season. You know, I think just about any even borderline NFL quality quarterback, you give them five or six starts, they're probably going to have a three touchdown game, as long as they have weapons to throw to.
0: Kyle Yuschek had a couple of touchdowns in this one after the game. He said, he talked about, did you see the basically the quarterback sneak they ran with him?
1: Well, I saw two, one where he made his block and one where he whiffed. No, no. He was, so he
0: went in motion and then came back to the, to under center and took the snap. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Okay. And he I thought you were talking the, about the, the, like the QB runarounds where he, yeah, the option block. where he, yeah.
0: they would have been a big play. Um, but Juice said it was fun to run that sneak play. They saw Blake Bell do it uh, last week. So I liked that the 49ers kind of stole that. And I said during the game that, I've noticed the past like quarter of the season, Kyle Shanahan is featuring Juice in short yardage situations and in the red zone. He is he's like the number one target. He had two more touchdowns today. Like we talked about that sneak play. Like my theory with Juice is that Kyle is featuring him so much either to one, convince him to stay and say, look what I can do with you, look at all the amazing numbers you're going to put up, or two, he's trying to drive up the price for somebody else to sign him by featuring him this much.
1: Uh, that, That could be. I think it's also might be that he has kind of realized that his red zone play calling is not the greatest because he tends to keep. Yeah. I mean, his offenses, even in the great years have struggled in the red zone. So maybe he started to think outside the box finally and realized, okay, if nobody's going to cover my fullback because nobody else in this league uses their fullback to do anything, then I'm just going to keep using him. And if they eventually adjust to cover the fullback, somebody else has to be open. Like It seems like he's finally realized, use your gimmick weapons that you have. I mean, you signed Juice for a reason.
0: You mentioned that play where Bethard t- kept it on the quarterback keeper, and it was basically Yushek was his lead blocker, and he totally whiffed on Buda Baker, and Bethard got tackled. It was nice to see that they actually did the option a couple of times with Beathard. And I thought it was pretty successful. That had me sort of dreaming as to, you know, the the crazy things Kyle could cook up if they had a quarterback that could do that consistently.
1: You know, it, it, it's kind of weird to me seeing because he, he's he's not necessarily called designed runs for Mullins, but he's rolled him out. And we saw even going back last year when Jimmy was healthy, Kyle would not roll him out. Kyle did not want Jimmy moving. And I find that and we all talked about it last year. We talked about how he's kind of scared for Jimmy to get hurt again. He doesn't want to have him doing that. He doesn't want to have him running around. Yet he's doing that with Mullins and Bethard. So it it's always odd to me when I see that. Like, okay, so your starter is too valuable, so you're just gonna call a limited offense. And even though the, the pass rushes were destroying Jimmy, he still wouldn't roll Jimmy out. Like Okay, that doesn't make sense to me. Like, I don't want to harp on Kyle because we already have on this pod for another reason. But his willingness to have his backups run and take hits, but not his starter just seems odd to me.
0: Because I think he's like the drop off between Jimmy and the other two is so steep that we don't want Jimmy to get hurt. But if I roll out Mullins and Beathard's got to come in, eh, they're both trash anyway. So what's the difference?
1: That may be true, but I mean, you. I think we've seen that it can be effective to limiting a pass rush. Like, what, what's the answer when your guys are incapable of blocking the other team? <laughs> Move the guy that they're trying to get to away from them.
0: Well, we saw it in this game. I mean, there was a play where McGlinchey got beat so badly to the inside, like within a second of the snap, that Beathard, to his credit, just rolled out to the right because the defender had vacated that area. Now, he threw a crappy pass to Jordan Reed, and it was incomplete. But that was the exact right thing to do. And by rolling right, he completely negated McGlinchy getting beat. On It took it from you know a potential negative play to rolling right, and you had options to make a play there, which you wouldn't have if you had just stayed in the pocket. Although, for most of the game, Bethard was pretty flat-footed. But, yeah, like we've said it a million times, if they get a guy that can move at least a little bit, it will certainly help a lot of the seeming flaws that they have on offense.
1: You know, besides the few plays that we've mentioned, McGlinchey getting totally whiffed on, he had a good game. Just ask him. <laughs> he did have an – I mean, he had an
0: awesome game run blocking. They were plays run blocking where he was 15, 20 yards down the field just pancaking people. Like, think about how good he has to be as a run blocker to be on this team when he's that bad as a pass blocker. Like, he is
1: a do run blocker. And I don't get it. That's – you know, I – Everybody's saying, including now John Lynch, that McGlinchy needs to put on some strength. He needs to gain some strength in the offseason. Then how is he a road grader in the run game? Like, that's <laughs> all about strength. I don't get it. Like, how, how is McGlinchy one of the best run-blocking offensive tackles in the game, yet he's a weakling when it comes to pass blocking?
0: Because I think he can attack in the run game, Right. He can attack. He either attacks a a gap or a player, and he's the one dictating what happens. When he's pass blocking, I feel like he has to try and adjust to the rush. Is it an inside rush? Is it an outside rush? Where are the pass rusher's hands? All that stuff. He can't do that. He's not For whatever reason, he's just not good at doing that. And so when he can't dictate what happens, he he whiffs a lot.
1: Yeah, I mean, it could be that he lacks lateral quickness which I think is part of it I do think you know I said in, in our weekly pod for gold standard that I what I see is McGlinchey has to guess at what the defender is going to do with their hands and when he right. guesses wrong he whiffs because he is a terrible hand fighting <laughs> guy I mean it it's hard if you don't really know offensive line and defensive line and what happens in the trenches it, it, it's kind of hard to describe but Literally, hand placement is the biggest battle in the trenches. Getting your hands on the other guy and winning that battle allows you to move that other guy where you want. And whoever wins that battle typically wins the overall battle and gets to do what they want, whether blowing up a play defensively or just not allowing the guy to do anything if you're the offensive tackle. And McGlinchey seems to have to guess, and when he guesses wrong, it, it's disastrous.
0: It was just so funny to hear the announcement. Oh, my God. (laughs) And 49ers Twitter, everybody that was listening to that stream caught it because I saw the tweet like a zillion times. But, hey, 49ers get the win, 20 to 12. Congratulations. Sorry for those weeping for the draft pick, but I still think it was a good day. It was a fun day, and I am a happier person because the 49ers won. That's going to do it for the Instant Reaction Podcast. Again, please keep your ratings and your reviews coming. We love them. It really does help. If you're a listener of this pod, a loyal listener, and you haven't submitted a rating or review, please take 30 seconds and do it. It does help a lot. You can read Levin's rantings on Twitter, at LTBlackNiners. Anything you want to leave the listeners with, Levin?
1: There's always the fallback plan of Taysom Hill. Oh, God. I'm going to skip over that (laughs) because
0: on the last Gold Standard podcast, you said that your wife was making a prime rib for Christmas and that you were going to work and work was going to give you a ribeye. So, did you do the prime rib, ribeye back to back combo?
1: No, but that's because work ended up getting his flaming yong instead. <laughs> <laughs> Man. That is a hell of a workplace. Let me just say that. I'll just say this when we're done recording here, I'm going down and heating up a leftover prime rib steak. Oh,
0: that's good <laughs> that work by you. Are you a medium rare guy? Medium well? How do you take your steak?
1: I'm generally medium. It depends on the cut. I hate people that think all steaks are created equal. They're not a ribeye and a prime rib should be pretty rare. There better be a lot of pink in those regular top sirloin. Even the flame and young, there shouldn't, there should be like a little bit of pink is what I like, but yeah, no people who get steaks well done or people that like, I've had people argue with me. No, all steaks have the same color grade. No, they don't. A ribeye, and a prime rib is supposed to look rare when you compare them to a regular steak. That's how they're supposed to be. They're on a different scale.
0: See what we give you? We give you football analysis, and now we're giving you steak analysis. My mother-in-law is a big well-done. That's how she takes all her steak, which is crazy, because my father-in-law, her husband, loves steak and always has like these great cuts of steak that he makes for us. And she always makes him cook one of them well-done, and I just weep in my, in my seat at the dinner table.
1: You should get her on this pod so I can tell her she's a flipping idiot. <laughs> How dare you?
0: How dare you?
1: She's a fine, fine woman. She just is ruining steak far too often. I mean, she did uh, get saddled with a bad son-in-law. So I well, guess. amen to that, brother.
0: That's going to do it for the Instant Reaction Podcast again. And try to enjoy your week. And we will talk to you next week for one more of the uh, Instant Reactions in the final game of the regular season.